0: Ron, I'm speaking to the wonderful Gammy, uh, Gammy's in Brisbane and part of our local tournament scene, uh, I ran into Gammy quite a few times, but he, I've still yet to play him, uh, so I thought I'd get yeah, on there. Yeah, um, and that's right, yeah, him, if we haven't played. And learn about him, and then hopefully I can use that against him when I play him.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I like that, I like that, that's uh, know your enemy, that's yes. uh, one of the biggest things, yeah. isn't it, that's the way to go, yeah, it's good shit, I like it, I like it. And I'm sure... How you doing if, Sammy, you
0: good? I'm going well, yourself
1: yeah i'm good dude i'm good i'm sure I'm good. a lot of people probably it's heard of field. you
0: as well if they've been listening to the local australian podcast because we seem to be yeah. a, a massive creator ecosystem here we yeah yeah we are actually it's covid's
1: kind of made us all um podcast recorders now isn't it is yeah. that the way to be that's the
0: easy way to go about isn't it to have to meet up with yeah, anyone yeah. you can just yeah. do it online
1: yep in face for radio that's the way to do it yeah. So yeah. It's, it's much easier yeah that's
0: right <laughs> Well, first off, we'll we'll get the age old question out of the way then. How did you get into like tabletop wargaming?
1: Yeah, man. Um, So I was around about age 14, so year nine at school and um, a couple of dudes in uh, year level were walking past and one guy had a uh, Dark Angels codex just sitting on top of his school book sort of thing. And um, I saw him chatting to another dude about it and I thought, I wonder what that is. So I went over and started chatting to him about it and got really interested they just said, you know, let's run you through a game, and and this is kind of the background of it. They lent me the book, and and um, yeah, it was it was pretty much a fall in love from there. I've I've always been a nerd at heart, so it was kind of one of those things where having a like minded group of people and and games workshop. I think the only local store was Mount Gravatt at that point, mm-hmm. so it was kind of we were stuck a lot to playing on the the lounge room floors and using toilet rolls <laughs> as, as cover and stuff and um, yeah so for for all of my high school I had a core group of mates who all played 40k together and um, yeah it, it kind of stemmed from there and and we did the age old leave leave the hobby for a couple of years yeah. as you get older and and move away from it and did university and all that fun stuff and then actually at university there was a, a cabinet um just it, it was kind of in in one of the main common halls sort of thing, and there's a cabinet with Warhammer in it. And because I was going to Mount Cravat campus for Griffith, it was kind of destined for me to to go <laughs> back. So my my second year of uni, I found myself back in the store. And one of my mates from school who um, used to play with me a fair bit, he actually was really keen to get back into it. So we actually ended up at a doubles tournament together. Oh. Uh, one. Best sports. Yep. Um, and yeah, it was just kind of from there found the passion again and I had a better, better income as well. So it was much easier to, to buy the hobby and get yep. into it and yeah, been in it ever since.
0: So yeah. Well, it's definitely the the one thing you want is and you go to your first tour and you get best sports. Can't complain with that. That's
1: it. That's it. It's the dream. That's yep. all you want. But yeah, it was um really cool because when I was younger, I was never really into the competitive side of things. It was just more um, I think I was running Chaos Marines and mm-hmm. just picking up anything my, my parents would buy me or my grandparents would buy me and, and kind of painting from there. And it was a bit of a lackluster sort of collection. And then, um, yeah, it was kind of when I got back into it, um, I started with Imperial Guard and it was just kind of get stuck into it that way and and picked up about three or four different armies. Started to meet a few different people, um, a few of my mates who now I still talk to and go to a- events together. Um, we met at around about oh, starting to play eighth edition fantasy, mm-hmm. so would have been around about 2012 10 to yeah, about 2010, I think. So we we all were regulars then at the Mount Cravat uh Warhammer store and used to go in Friday nights, have our games night, go out for Korean barbecue afterwards, <laughs> and yeah, it was it was awesome. Yeah. It's kind of um from that point on like the the boys that we used to play with we're all all mates still and and um all go regularly to events so yeah it's kind of been yeah. a, a love of the hobby since then it's
0: what it's do you pretty reckon pretty much the story sort of kept you there was that sort of like you enjoyed the hobby aspect or was it more socializing and just hanging out with your friends
1: yeah um i would say initially uh i i the the lore for me, uh, the background of, of Warhammer 40,000 was unreal. It was just mm-hmm. one of those things where as a kid, you, you loved the idea of, you know, superhuman warriors blowing people up with, with weapons and, wouldn't? and just, you know, like this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. And, and you know, you, you, everyone watched Super Troopers when they were um kids and yeah. no starship troopers sorry not super troopers it's completely different yeah film, but, say, uh, yeah watch starship yeah 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 about yeah canadian cops like what's going on <laughs> oh, no, that's the second one but anyway um yeah I, I i think um when you look at i guess catching up regularly with mates mm-hmm. and, and having regular games and and being able to get the best out of each other because no one likes losing, particularly no, um, on tabletop gaming, yeah. and and I think um, what was really cool was we'd all, you know, play each other, and then a couple of weeks later when we played each other again, you you started to to learn each other's, I guess, tactics and 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 um, write different lists, so you'd, mm-hmm. you'd bring something different to the game, and it was definitely. Um, you know, like lifelong mates as a result of it's a, a massive bonus of the whole thing. Um, like-minded individuals where they're people you, you're not finding that awkward sort of um, into this nerdy thing, mm. like everyone's into it. And, and yeah, it's definitely kept me in the in the hobby for sure.
0: Yeah. There's definitely seems to be a massive sort of shift in the last sort of four or five years, maybe a little bit longer, of it's cool to be a nerd to a certain extent, like, I think, like, especially with um, Stranger Things, bringing out the D&D crowd, Game of Thrones, all that sort of high fantasy sort of stuff seems to be launching all this nerdery into mainstream. Um,
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, like the cool kids at school. Uh, I'm a high school teacher. So, you know, the, the kids you'd list as cool <laughs> start talking about, you know, um, dragons and, and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, that, that definitely wasn't wasn't around when I was in school. It was kind of a bit more, um, I guess, like d and I, I never knew about until mm-hmm. I was a bit older. And um, obviously there were people around me that played it, but it, it's that sort of thing of, like it said, it's become mainstream now, which is pretty cool. Yep. Much easier to get into, which is awesome.
0: Is there a side you've fallen more in love with? Like are you more of uh, like a sci-fi sort of 40K side of things or are you more into the high fantasy sort of goblins inside of things?
1: Yeah, um, look, I was you know, we, we all remember watching Lord of the Rings when we were kids and going to the movies. And <laughs> I think and every single person it, I've
0: interviewed has added a Lord of the Rings story in there.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a. Uh, it, it's one of those things where as a kid, you're watching these films that just blew your mind for you know, taking into these other it, it like, obviously, being a teacher, I teach um science fiction and fantasy is a one of the subjects actually for English. And we talk about how uh, fantasy is like an alternate version of planet Earth. It's it's, mm-hmm. you know, based um, roughly around like a historical sort of aspect. And then science fiction is a is a potential future. And and that's kind of the yeah. idea behind it is to send that message of if we keep going this way, then that's what's going to happen. So I think for me, fantasy, um, I was listening to a, a podcast through frontline gaming the other day actually it's this guy has been doing like um hobby heroes of warhammer okay. forty thousand. he's a, a kiwi bloke and uh he was interviewing this guy and he was talking about mental health and saying that you know like this game does incredible things because you can find like-minded people you can um have a chat escapism is a massive thing yeah. and you know people have different ways of escaping it could you know alcohol or, or gaming or you know that sort of stuff and i think for me uh, this is definitely a, a great form of escapism. You know, I was yeah. playing with my uh, five-year-old niece today, who's got this ridiculous imagination. And I, I was kind of sitting there thinking, well, we we do this on a weekly basis, really. <laughs> like, you know, it's a as much as it's a dice game. There's still that element of imagination to it, and yeah, it's um, definitely. I'd say high fantasy for me. I love the science fiction stuff. Um Warhammer Warhammer 40,000's got a really cool lore. Um and it's probably the only thing that keeps me in touch with the game as okay. well. Uh, is the fact that the lore itself is is really cool. Um but yeah, fantasy is definitely my my, my jam. Yeah. I enjoy it.
0: Oh, that's cool. Cuz yeah, I've I definitely lean towards the fantasy side. Like Star Wars and stuff weren't sort of my sort of jam as movies. Yep. Anything star yep. related. So that whole star game, yeah. <laughs> all of those, yeah, yes, yeah. Star Trek. Uh, yeah, they all come seem up to be yep. sort of similar veins of mm. that mm. sort of far flung futuristic. It doesn't really appeal to me, but the fantasy, I feel, because it's as you're saying, it's an alternate world, so it's very easily mm. believable, and something I you can see. Oh, I could see a little bit of magic popping out here, or something like that. And then, yeah, yeah, as it's not just like you're sure if you looked at it like linearly, or sorry, whatever you call it where it's just like oh you're just rolling dice and you're moving plastic figurines no one i don't think mm. really looks at it to that degree it's more oh this thing's going to do this cool thing you imagine it in your brain and you're like oh that'd be yep. sick and that's the moments you remember about games oh, 100% special.
1: and it's that thing where i think people who find gripes with with rules and and you know factions like corn at the moment is one of those <laughs> things where people think Wow, it's this ridiculous army that goes across the table and you know butchers people and does all this thing, and then then you play the game and you go, well, it's not that's not how it went at all, and it's yep. uh, it, you know, that takes away your escapism sort of thing. But yeah, it's the element of imagination it's a massive thing to it. It's um definitely definitely a big part.
0: Mm-hmm. And in that sort of aspect. What armies have you lent towards playing or have you got more of a, like, are you an elf player or a dwarf player? Because obviously they go both towards 40k and AOS. Is there a thing you lean towards?
1: Yeah, um, I think, so I played 8th edition fantasy um, up until 7th edition 40k I played. Mm -hmm. um, And I was always running um, Chaos Marines, picked up Dark Elder towards the end of it, um, more towards that idea of, uh, I guess, play style was really um fascinating to me of you know avoidance and and glass glass hammers type yep. type situation um then when going into fantasy um i, I picked up bretonians and played them for you know as long as i could and mm. i loved the idea of like templar knights sort of thing and and for me um bretonians you know really appealed to me in that manner and then towards the end of eighth um I, yeah a couple of years later i was i was picking up orcs and goblins because they were a lot of fun. They were that element of randomness that I really yeah. enjoyed. Um, you know, when I was playing Bretonians, they were, they hadn't had an update in 12 years
0: by that point. Ooh. So it was kind of... Yeah, 12 years without an update It's pretty rough sort of an army to have.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things where I, I think you, you found people that, loved the game and, or loved the faction and, and stuck to it. And, you know, they, they didn't have an update models wise for, for a long time either. So, you know, you get stuck with Bretonians So Orcs and Goblins then were kind of my fun army. They, they were random, um, a, a range of units as well. Uh, and then I really wanted to start to get competitive. So um, Wood Elves were released mm-hmm. um, and they, they were really uh, appealed to me because I I, I like the um law behind Wood Elves in that they balance the dark and the light. So um you know you had your dark Elves, you had your your high Elves. Dark Elves are using dark magic, high Elves light magic, and then Wood Elves were kind of the in between. They're a bit you know only really cared about the the woods and and you know like they would work with the bretonians So again, it was another massive appeal to me yeah. for law. On the tabletop at that stage with 8th edition fantasy elves were, you know, that everyone who wanted to do well competitively was running elves. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, they had to always strike first and it was just a ridiculous mechanic that, you know, still was not fun. To so, this day,
0: <laughs> it seems to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's it, it is. The yeah, last eight years ongoing, of AOS. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Have still lent yeah. towards if you want to be good, take elves. hundred <laughs> uh, percent.
1: And it is that, it is that thing of, I think um when you look at, you know, the hate that people have in fantasy for elves, um, it's it's out of a jealousy, I think. It's you know probably for the bubbling it back can, again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, you know, Wood Elves for me were a real um a great army and, and and I was working on my hobby at that point as well and, and really wanted this army to to pop. Um so I, you know, improved my painting to to try and meet the the model standards and ended up picking some painting awards uh with the army itself so oh, you know nice. that again appealed to me mm. and and that became kind of a factor of of what i looked for in an army as well as is, is the aesthetic so yeah it's um you know leaning into age sigma then um i've i kept going with the bone splitters for a while so I had the uh savage orcs um loved their aesthetic and and yeah. they were really cool that they then became an army um and then ran the Wanderers. So Wood Elves became Wanderers, um, I think, because of IP, they decided to change up the name. Um, a bit too which, generic? Yeah, exactly. Wood Elves, it's like, oh, everyone's got Wood Elves, so they just changed it to Wanderers instead. And, you know, it, it was great because they actually had um, sub-faction or allegiance abilities in the first couple of general handbooks that mm-hmm. came out um, up until Cities of Sigma dropped. And, yeah, it was great because for a few years I was able to – keep going with my armies that existed. Um Bretonians were basically dropped, went to legends almost straight away as soon as um, match play became a thing with with Age Sigma. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, there were people out there that were annoyed and I just said, well, I got, you know, nearly 10 good years out of out of Bretonians and and mm-hmm. for me it wasn't a massive issue. But I feel sorry for those people who picked it up, you know. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of years beforehand and then it's just disappeared completely. But yeah. So for me, um, I'd say elves are probably, <laughs> I've got a daughter's a cane army. I've got a silver army, a wanderers army. So I'd say I'm a closet elf fan. I might have That's to start uh...
0: screening people. I've had too many dedicated elf players on here.
1: Yeah, that's what you got to watch out for. You'd yeah. be surprised how many elf players there are out there, actually. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. And, and they always say, oh, I'm not an elf player. And then once you start talking <laughs> about your armies, I mean, I've got a massive corn army. So that's cool. It's going to stay on the shelf for the next three years.
0: So yeah. that's always good. But yeah, yeah. Well, you've seemed to be a good metric at the moment as well for armies that are getting, well, you can't say squatted anymore because they're back. But <laughs> mm, your mm. bone splitters are sort of, they're on the teetering edge. Bretonia. What else?
1: yeah 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 i keep I, I think um if people say you know what army you collect and i tell them they should just go the opposite way yeah. and and go with whatever's i'm not collecting because that <laughs> way it, it won't end up in the extinct pile but yeah yeah it's um yeah corn oh man oh, i don't want to talk about it uh, it'll come so up later, later
0: on i'm sure yeah yeah i'm sure i'm sure what, um When you said you were sort of going competitive with the Wood Elves, was that meaning you were sort of coming into the competitive scene or were you already playing in a lot of tournaments and you just wanted to take something that could sort of stay up with the current meta?
1: Yeah, I, so I played 40k tournaments um, in 6th and 7th edition and for me it was, I really enjoyed uh, the competitive edge that you know like a, a community where everyone was you know respectfully trying to beat each other mm-hmm. with with their armies and and get the best out of each other as well and and for me as soon as I went into fantasy I I was almost automatically involved in the competitive scene okay. of, of fantasy um that's how I met Luke and Gabe and Gary and, and Pat and yeah. all those boys was through 40k initially and then um majority of them were in fantasy and and that's where we found ourselves so it was kind of when I'd run bretonians I was getting beaten by you know real simple armies that just threw people you know like demons were just going here's six dice of you know a black sun that would just go straight through your army <laughs> isn't that where Rob's name like, comes oh, cool. from <laughs> yeah yeah exactly that's right and it's that, that thing of like throw six dice at everything and it's like a <laughs> good time it's uh sounds like a wonderful game skills yeah it's um one of those one of those games you look back with like rose tinted glasses like you sit there and you think wow what a great game it was and the amount of times i'd have conversations with my opponent about you know what angle my my models were standing on because that would change everything about what was going on and it would be a 10-minute conversation about angling and wheeling and you know in in your mind it was really cool to see rank and flank Mm. like i I quite enjoyed that um the reality was it was just you know that like you said six dice skills you throw six (laughs) dice at a spell and 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 i did the same thing in britannians you go here's six dice at this spell
0: and hope it blows something up. i'm guessing that's why you you didn't go to ninth age and you, you sort of stuck with the fantasy yeah famous. well that's it
1: it was it yeah it was as soon as aos dropped actually it was a really fascinating time because we we're all really competitive players that were in the tournament scene and and wood elves for me were um i guess the answer to a lot of the problems in the game because mm-hmm. they had good combat they had good shooting um good magic you know they were the perfect balance whereas you know you would find yourself going up against a particular matchup and you'd see people would start going oh you're playing wood elves okay cool it's going to be true flight arrows everywhere and it's like yep that's exactly what it is and you you learn to own it sort of thing mm-hmm. whereas i think previous events i was running orcs awesome and goblins and and you know people would be like haha that was fun you threw six dice into Footy Gork, and it you know wiped out half my army or you know, or, or I blew myself up or I animosity into myself and, yeah. and had a good time. And I, I found fun in that. And then eventually I kind of felt, well, you know, I really want to see how far I can push myself with a, with a good army, yeah. um, not just a random army. And, and so, yeah, it was an appeal to me in, in that. And I think there's an element still in Age Sigma for me. Um, I've, Like I said, I've got a Daughters of Kane army, which is probably my most competitive army I've got just on paper and, yep. um, and when I usually pick them up, I you know, can podium at an event or, or go quite well, but at the moment it's kind of a, do I want to go down that pathway again with the new book coming up? Yep. And yeah, it's a interesting dynamic. I'm a bit of a hobby butterfly. So I jump between <laughs> one army and the next and hope that, you know, like they, they get an update or, yep. or, you know, Paint a couple of models and find myself wanting to run wanderers again or whatever it <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah. So, yeah, I think yeah, at least with the, your hobby, the, joy of the hobby
0: butterflying is you actually finishing your armies off. I know a lot of hobby butterflies <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> get like five hundred points in, sell the army, and onto the next one. Like you finished the last two, you sort of the big two projects. Yeah, true. Into.
1: Very true. Yeah, I'd I'd say um, yeah, I'd probably put myself as a hobby butterfly of the armies I've got completed. I keep picking up and putting down and putting on the shelf and, mm-hmm. and trying to make better. And, but yeah, you're right. I, I think the last two armies I've collected, I've really pushed myself hobby wise and, and wanted to kind of challenge myself as well. I think with, yep. with Silvernave in particular, but
0: yeah. You've yeah, definitely uh, noticed I find that you're pushing yourself in both directions as well. You want to be super competitive, but you also want yeah. to have a lot of time in the hobby aspect of it as well. How have you found yeah. trying to juggle those two things? Because I know they're a struggle.
1: Yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, I'm lucky. As I said, teacher, I get lots of time off um, to, you know, the school holidays. I can find myself sit down for a few hours and, and smash out some painting. Um, the Silver Neth Army I did it in three weeks because, you know, my daughter was born in, in December. So I found myself with a lot of time on my hands over the December break. And, and, um, I thought, well, could I smash out this army and and do it to a a reasonably good standard? Um, and and I think, like I said, when I picked up the Wood Elves, it was a challenge of do something competitive, but also hobby, you know, try and meet all aspects of it. Because I think what was happening was in, in, um, Fantasy in particular, you've very rarely found a fully painted army that oh, um, okay. you come up against unless unless someone had collected it for, you know, five plus years and, okay. um, you know, there's a lot of bare plastic and very similar to 40K a few years ago where, mm-hmm. you know, you would see um, bare plastic. I think Age Sigma did actually the the community when they made, a, a I guess, standard of three colour minimum, um, a lot of other, game systems kind of lifted to that as well because um, yep. it was never a thing in competitive okay. play. Um, whereas back when I was doing fantasy, I thought, well, it'd be really nice to see a Wood Elf army painted well and and on the table. And there were some really great armies kicking around that were beautifully painted as well in autumn theme colored, seemed to be the colors everyone wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now I find myself, you know, there's a couple of, couple of the boys that I played with, we always made a deal. We'd never run an army unless it was fully painted um and i myself it was more a personal thing i I didn't like running bare plastic if i was trying out some units sure um you know trying out some different combinations seeing some different things in action but i definitely find the painting side a real um what's the word i I guess like it's cathartic you know you you sit down for a couple of hours you achieve something um you know i I talk to my wife regularly about like the mental health behind Mm -hmm. the hobby and saying that i can go and she loves it that i can go into you know my man cave i'm currently (laughs) in and paint something come out after a couple of hours and just feel okay i achieved something i didn't have to think about anything else um you know the world's a pretty shit place at the moment and it's that thing of like I said, that escapism of, you know, you get that in playing the game, you get it in painting. Um, so I, I find a joy in both, which not everyone does, um, but I definitely find myself, you know, writing lists as well as a really great element to the game where, you know, you have conversations with people. I'm sure everyone's got group chats where they put a list up and seek feedback, but really what you want to hear is how great the list is, <laughs> not actually get any criticism. Um yep. You know, I think everyone does that from time to time, but I think the hobby has so many aspects to it that, you know, that it appeals to lots of different people in that that manner, um, which appeals to me. So, Mm -hmm.
0: yeah. How have you found, because you're saying you're trying to take it competitive in like sort of the painting aspect, because I know when I'm trying to do an army, I really struggle to try and get the army toned down to a level where I feel it's competitive as well as trying to get it all painted up. Uh, and you were saying you don't want to play with an army really till it's sort of painted. How have you gone like with that sort of struggle in trying to get these units?
1: Yeah, I, I think, um, what it comes down to is, is knowing the game, knowing the book, um, reading the book three or four times, trying to find the best combos. Um, sometimes it's trial and error. Sometimes I've got units now that are painted and, and sitting there, if it, you know, like when I was looking at corn. um, I really wanted to push the mortal corn side Mm -hmm. of things. Um, My original army for corn was 21 skull crushers. That's what I wanted to run. And not many people were doing it. It was a really expensive army to collect. It's now like the standard expense. (laughs) But I I think um, corn, when I look at it now, I've got multiple shelves where there's different units on there. And I, I learned to be okay with, putting them on the shelf and then yeah. picking them up from time to time and giving them a go. So I think, you know, like I, I think of Pat Carter, for example, whose collection is one of the most ridiculous armies or ridiculous collections. I know of a hobbyist. He's got an entire room filled with hobby that he just, you know, like he'll go, I like gloom spike gets. So he collects every aspect of gloom spike okay. gets. So he's got, he's got the goblin side. He's got the troll side. He's got the, you know, the squigs got armies like they're, he he, kind of lent into that when it was ogres. He collected every aspect of ogres. You know, it's that thing of there's a collecting element to it. Yep. And for me, um, like Daughters of Cain, for example, if someone said, "What's the army that like have you gone Morathi in the bow snakes?" I've actually only picked up um, snakes in the last couple of weeks just to have a go. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got mainly combat ones, but I'm interested to see the new book coming out. I don't like building into I guess the people say netlists, but you, you kind of lean in into that sort of build, I guess, of saying, okay, how do you optimize? Um, my, my daughter's cane army, I did quite well with, had 30 heart renders in it, or life takers, sorry. So yeah. it was a different army that people went, oh, that's interesting. And I think for me, I like that as a challenge okay. in the way that I do things. I like that people after a game say that was different and a different experience. It wasn't just, okay, it's daughter's a cane. Marathi and the Bow Snakes, you're going to shoot me off, you're going to do this. Or um, I guess the closest I came to was Cunning Ruck with um, Savage Orcs. So, you know, back in first edition Age of Sigma, it was kind of the bad guy of of Sigma because you'd just double shoot and shoot your opponent off. And I actually went to Masters with Cunning Ruck in the first year that it came out. So I guess that was the closest I came and, and that's where I kind of found myself thinking, do I want to always lean into... I guess that netlist build, or do mm-hmm. I want to find something unique? And and for me, that's where I guess the answer to the question that you asked of saying, "How do you find motivation?" is saying, "Well, mm-hmm. you know, can I get the best out of this this unit as I paint it and
0: and build it?" Yeah, because yeah, that's my main struggle was I because in the flutters and the wind that the Skaven books the next chaos book, mm-hmm. and so I went mm-hmm. through. and I'm like, oh, cause I've got ton of, absolute ton of scaven, and I'm like. What mm. I want to go through and update and sort of convert and paint up? And so I pulled off some Storm Fiends mm. and I like spent mm-hmm. half an hour on them. And then I'm like, I don't want to spend all this time on the models and then not be useful enough to even play with. And that's yep. where I think yep. that sort of question came from because I really struggled with it. And I ended up putting them down because I'm like, I don't mm. not waste time, but I just didn't want to put a ton of time into models that aren't going to see the table. Um, Because I've heard too many times of people doing that and then they absolutely sit there till the next edition of their book comes out. Mm. And you've Mm. just spent, what, nine, ten hours on one unit or something. and It feels like it's gone to waste because it's not seen the table. I still get the satisfaction of seeing it in the the cabinet, but not being on the table, I feel like it's a missed opportunity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's... uh... You never want your models to sit in the, the shelf. You want to be able to use them. Like you said, you've spent a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to have to walk away from it and say, "Oh, well, they're going to sit there on the shelf." And I think you're yeah. in a really tough spot with Skaven because you know they're rumored to be the next Chaos book, yeah. but they might just go yeah. here's corn yeah. all yeah. of a sudden, like you know, like just yeah. to really throw it up or, or zinch, you yeah. know, like whatever it, it could be was, anything. Like
0: you know. they might be a massive new model range. Because there's been exactly. two yep. four armies that have had one model each or one unit each. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, well, that could all just be useless and they want to sell the new models. Correct. Yeah. And I think Skaven's a really interesting
1: one because you've got models that are still, you know, older than <laughs> I am. You know, yeah. like it's uh that, that are available to play. Mm-hmm. And and like I said, the the Storm Fiends are the latest, you know, they came out in eighth edition. Yeah. So it was kind of you almost guaranteed to see them in the next book um they might not be the way that they play now and i think that's a, a tough it's like the gamble of this hobby isn't it mm. of saying i'm going to give it a go um it's like the snakes i've picked up i've got 10 bow snakes i've got 10 combat snakes they might actually be you know they go back to sister slaughter and which has been you know the the auto take yeah. in in armies and so yeah, i've got lots of snakes then to what do I do with them sort of thing and um and for me it's that that sort of thing of if I can make them work and you feel I feel guilty sometimes when you run the competitive army like Daughters of Cain everyone's keeps saying to me like just run them stop feeling bad about yep. it but um I guess there is that little bit of pressure as well you run a competitive yeah. army and there's there's a bit of pressure that comes behind that so um I'd much rather go to a two-day event and you know, enjoy myself, I guess, mm-hmm. and, and have my opponents enjoy the game as well, yep. which is a big factor for me, mm. massive factor.
0: Speaking of two day events, how have mm. you found competitive play? Because you're being your main sort of side of the game. Mm-hmm. How did you mm-hmm. find getting into it at the start and sort of it progressing over the last ten years or so, and then how have you found yeah. it in more recent times?
1: yeah um so initially with the the 40k side of things um it was actually a couple of my mates that i was playing just regular games with at the store that said you should come to this team event and and we went to titans which was held at cleveland um back in the day sort of thing and and you know it was a big 50 man tournament where everyone would show up and it's four teams and i was running dark elder at that point and I didn't understand the concept of being thrown under the bus, but it's uh, uh, that's what happened every round. And I got one good matchup the whole weekend. And my captain, my team captain, Eric, he actually said, he's like, man, I'm so sorry that I had to do that to you. And I was like, dude, I've, I've had the best weekend because I got to play five people I've never played before. Mm-hmm. Um, I met Dave Kerr at that event. We actually <laughs> played each other in the first first game. Um, you know, like there, there was an element to it where I thought, what I loved was walking around and seeing what people were doing with the hobby. Um, so there was a hobby aspect to it. I loved to see how people were getting the best out of their armies as well. Um, updates, you know, when I was playing 40k updates were happening every couple of years. So every, you know, five years on average for a codex. So we weren't getting the, the updates we get now. And I think a lot of people forget that they forget that we went years without a codex for for armies and had to learn. Yeah. 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 It's uh, for, for me, I I loved walking away from that weekend meeting five new people and, and people who I'd see then at other events and we, I'd go to then competitive single events and people would come up and have a chat to me. And I guess the community aspect was a really big thing that appealed to me. Um, People from a range of backgrounds as well. There were, you know, I was still at university at that point. Um, but I was talking to, you know, veterans who just fought in Afghanistan. I was talking to, you know, engineers who had been in the field for 10 years. I was talking to teachers, you know, like people from wide variety and everyone was happy to have a chat. Everyone was happy to have a beer and just converse about 40K, this random, you know, universe that yeah. didn't exist apart from, you know, what was made up. And then when I got into fantasy, it was a really tight-knit group Um, fantasy wasn't as popular as 40k Um, so at single player events the same 40 people would be pretty much at every single event from all the way up to sunshine coast down to gold coast Um, and it was very rare to get more than 24 players in an event so you know like we used to see 16 player events as massive for fantasy Um, so we all got to know each other quite well um, in that manner Um, And so then when Age of Sigmar dropped, what was interesting was because it was kind of the Wild West, we call it, where, (laughs) you know, rules were so random and there was no structure. Um, What I loved was that then, you know, you had um, South Coast gaming, I think, or South Coast pairings was like the... First points that they did for Age Sigma, and it was kind of you know this idea of let's have two core units and similar to 40k, like yep. your two core units and a leader, and and built into that. Then this skeleton of match play actually became match play in Age Sigma, and and we saw it across the world. This idea of community, I guess from the start, we all kind of worked our way through this really murky, made up rules where you didn't feel like you were having the old competitive games that you used to and, and me as a competitive player i ended up going to bolt action back to 40k um played uh, a couple of other games for a while there yeah. and then we ended up back at age of sigma once there was some points brought into it and some structure and then once the first general handbook dropped i was pretty much sold on it and they started to do book releases i think they had the corn and storm cast books the first two that came out bone splitters was also in you know that that kind of first group of releases um you know fire slayers were in there all these new armies started to pop up and so for me the community aspect of competitive play still exists today where i guess like yourself, Sam, like we've we've met through competitive yep. play. We haven't played each other, no. but we can still have conversations where there's no, um, I guess, awkwardness or no like a, I don't know, air of what's this guy about sort yeah. of thing. Like we can just have a chat. And I think the Sigma community in particular, um, I mean, there's always c- comparisons between Sigma and 40K. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like the running gag now <laughs> of, you know, like the we're all going to, you know, street fight next time we see each other sort of thing but i definitely think sigma has got a healthier community in the sense of um people love the competitive side but particularly in australia we don't um i guess don't have the funds to just chase the meta all the time um and people who do chase the meta we tend to culturally we just cut down (laughs) because we're kind of we're, we're a bit were a bit like that, yeah. a bit of authority, you know, like cut down the the tall poppy sort of yeah. thing. And, and, you know, like Corey, all credit to him, you know, he for years was us. running. <laughs> yeah, he did. He, he rose above the, the hate, I guess, for running uh, the most competitive armies. And he's still, you know, he walked away from Sigma for a little bit and he's back keen as ever to, oh, yes. you know, come to events. And, and that's what I love is that, he felt, he never felt isolated, mm-hmm. never felt that we actually genuinely disliked him just for jest, running yeah. competitive. Exactly. It's that thing of, you know, we had Dave Kerr nearly be mastered three times in a row. Like it was that thing of, it was a tight knit community and it's grown massively. Yep. Um, I love now, if I look back at the fantasy community, I knew maybe 40 other people through, fantasy that was it i know hundreds and hundreds yeah, of people through sigma and that is across the world like i have random tweets you know mm-hmm. from people in england or america who you know will like something that i put up about sylvaneth or they message me directly and say hey what was your list and and how did you find it sort of thing and yeah. that in itself has become a really cool thing to see um when we look at the sigma community it's definitely international um and I love listening to people in different podcasts talk about their local meta and talking about how like this Australia's this weird place <laughs> where we do everything oddly. And, and for me, I love that because I think fairness, we also used to have Swiss comp as well because okay. that it wasn't updated as regularly. So you'd have this, you know, app that we used to use on our computers mm-hmm. that we'd enter all our um, stuff in and it would be comped to a certain standard. So a certain amount of points and then, you would try and push for so like bretonians for example were able to run whatever the hell they liked sort of thing (laughs) whereas if you're running uh warriors of chaos you could only run certain units so it really comps that Mm -hmm. sort of thing um i loved it at the time but i look at it now and think wow it's we've come so far in that we get regular updates we get you know, a war scroll for example or a battle scroll that comes out and that can potentially change the game or it's a talking point for competitive play, which you know, we get that on a six month basis now as yeah. opposed to five to ten years. Yeah. So, it's not even a, you know, a
0: talking points are salty point sometimes, depending on what war scroll or what army was changed.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Depending on what side of the fence to sit on. Yeah. So um yeah, but I, I definitely think the competitive community is genuinely one of the like the greatest groups of people you'll meet. Like 100% and that's from across across all of Australia. Like you you have conversations with people who, you know, they're so keen. And we obviously had COVID that stopped us from being able to go interstate and Can stopped. And, you know, that was like a you know, I went to two Cancons and and it was just some of the best memories of the whole Yeah. You know, whole of war gaming for me, sort of thing, because it was just hundreds of players getting together from across Australia. And and at that stage, I, you know, was, I think we had Mango Mafia start as a group, you know, and we had Joel and the boys from Measure Gaming at the first uh, CanCon we went to, you know, come up and have a chat to us. And, you know, they knew who we were and and we knew who they were. And it was just like a really cool, like, we only really knew the Sydney people at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, because that was kind of the competitive early days of Sigma was like the competitive Brisbane and Sydney scene. So like my first masters I went to, the only masters I went to was 20 players and it was basically Brisbane and Sydney, like the, the two people who were running events sort of thing. And, and it was, I knew everyone there, whereas now it's grown so much that there's great people that I still talk to on a regular basis um as a result which i think is awesome whereas i fantasy it really divided when age sigma dropped and a lot of the people who are in competitive fantasy went to ninth age and a lot of people just dropped the hobby altogether and and for me i kind of never wanted to do that so i kind of wanted to keep my toe in that water sort of thing at all times and glad i did i'm really glad i did
0: yeah speaking to clint he sort of said the same thing all the competitive people that were probably more on the toxic side all went to ninth age And the people that Mm -hmm. were there to have Mm -hmm. fun and enjoy the hobby or went to Age of Sigmar. And it seems to have obviously been better for it because Mm. joining Mm. recently into the scene I've experienced very rarely any toxicity at all. Mm. Um, Mm. And it just seems to be a wonderful scene to be involved in. Like everyone's super welcoming. You can, because you've got this common denominator between everyone, you can just come up to them and go, how's your game? And you can instantly start talking with that. Whereas... If you to do that in any other environment, it'd be a lot harder to get a conversation going, or it wouldn't happen at all, because you just don't. Yeah, have absolutely. To yeah. It with,
1: and I think there's that thing of you know like, Sigma as well has evolved as a game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like Age of Sigma Three is probably the best version in my opinion that the game has been in because, you're now interacting in your opponent's turn, and and there's a lot more play to it, and that's where, like I said, you can go up to a. a opponent or one of your mates and say, how's it going? And there's no, like, I guess people know how to handle that moment. They know how to say, if they're not doing well, they can kind of just give them a look like, it's (laughs) not going well. Like, you know, I think Dave and yourself were playing at Toowoomba open last year and it was Dave's, um, slaves to darkness yep. and i remember at one point i walked over the table i didn't say anything <laughs> he just gave me a look because i think at that point you were bringing another 40 zombies on yeah. and they were on this objective and and he had to really play uh you know a real tight game to to get the win out of that because i i remember i think you were standing i was standing next to you and you were like okay prince forger i can't get in yeah can't pile was, in here.
0: half and, a zombie base
1: <laughs> i still remember yeah, yeah. it <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it, but it was one of those moments where you handled that really well, yeah. uh, I think. Um, and it's a credit to the community as well, is that we've fostered this... Like, you guys were both playing for first place. Yeah. And there was, like, you knew in that moment it was, like, literally half an inch of, of yeah. movement to stop yourself from getting a win. And, and people can handle that in different ways. And I think there is a, a really... Yeah, yeah as i said it's a testament to the whole competitive scene that everyone can have something like that and be disappointed and like you said i remember you saying i'm going to remember that and i'm going to learn from it <laughs> and i think that's what a lot of people have to have to do really yeah. in a competitive scene and say well it didn't go that the way i wanted to so i'm, I'm going to make the best of it next time and yeah. and yeah it's it's probably the biggest change i've seen is from early days of competitive 40K and then fantasy is people are better losers and better sportsmen. A better sports is a really hard, like best sports is one of the hardest um, fought trophies I think now um, oh, yeah, in the sense that there are so many good people in the, the scene um, that it's really difficult to get a, a best sports <laughs> yeah. um, trophy. Yeah. And anyone who gets it should be really proud of themselves. Cause I think that's, know, and and like Mick always had a running joke with me the first couple of years of Sigma because I was getting best sports at these events, and he used to just yell out bullshit all the time. And I think people that didn't know him and didn't know our relationship were really put off. They're like, "Wow, he really hates this guy!" Like, but it was just—it was the running joke with all the exactly, yeah. It was the running joke with all the Mango Mafia boys as well as saying that the only trophy I could win was best sports and and. Uh, you know i I was all right with it but again i think that's a a really cool um environment to be in yeah for sure
0: we've definitely showed them now you've got painting trophies you've got podiums yeah
1: yeah Yeah, yeah, trying to go all the trifecta now so that's uh yeah do the best you can so
0: yeah have you got a favorite tournament that sticks out for you
1: uh, I'd say 2018 CanCon, definitely. Um, so I took Wanderers to that and Wanderers at that stage, I think there was, I think I was the only Wanderers player in the whole tournament and it was 120 people at that time. So that was kind of, it was at that stage very large, events yeah. in Australia. Yep. And, I ended up going 18th at that one. So made top 20 with Wanderers. And and there was a real, it was fascinating because there was, I walked past the Sydney crew and, and I knew all the Sydney crew. And, and I think <laughs> I overheard Chris Welfare say something like, how is Wanderers in the top 10? Because at that stage I was in top 10 yep. going into day two. And they were trying to work it out and trying to work out the game. And if I was matched up against them, how to beat them, that sort of thing or how they beat me. And for me, that's a really memorable moment of this group of guys all sitting around going, how the hell is Wanderers here and how do we beat them? And yeah. so I was doing it with an army that people were unfamiliar with and it wasn't a gotcha moment. It was more just a. Um, it really challenged their, their play style. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was uh, the only way to one run, run Wanderers, sorry, was to do the one drop battalion that they had where if your general was 12 inches from an enemy your entire battalion could shoot at them in the Oof. hero phase uh so it was like a hero and shooting phase so it's, it's never theme. yeah still. <laughs> exactly yeah yeah it's the only way to be competitive but it was um yeah it was great i ended up playing mick thompson in the last game for i think fourth place or something and um he was running his legions in the gash at that point there was really early d- days legions and the gash and he ended up beating me but ever since then mick and i regularly talk at you know his events he he went to um vic gt a couple of weeks ago with with luminef and did yeah. quite well and you know we were talking about that so i think for me that cancon was definitely the highlight of of sigma you know it was a bunch of boys from brisbane we all went down flew down together um we were one of the funniest stories in existence is this chicken place down in, in Canberra. So Dave Kerr's from Canberra and um, it's Kingsley's chicken is the name of this place. And he's, he kept saying on the way down, he's like, boys Kingsley's chicken, it's the greatest thing you'll ever have, blah, blah, blah. And um, we were like, yeah, whatever, Dave, what are you, what are you on about? And so he calls up Kingsley's chicken. It was six o'clock at night we'd flown in <laughs> and he's saying, you know, I think it was, oh no, it might have been in the morning. Anyways, eight o'clock in the morning, he's called up Kingsley's Chicken, and this poor teenager on the other side of the phone's gone, oh, hello. And Dave's gone, buddy, we've got a whole van load of boys, put the chicken in the deep fryer. We are on our way. And this kid on the other side, you could hear him, he's going, uh, okay. And he's like, and Dave's gone, get all the chicken, get every bit of chicken you've got, put it in the fryer. We're on our way. We're all crying in this van, and we never went to Kingsley's Chicken. So we had never ended up there. And so, we always say to this day, this poor kid's lost his job because Dave Kerr had called him up and said to put every bit of chicken in the deep fryer. But uh, it was just, you know, in a shared house with a group of boys, you know, having a good time um, with 120 players or 119 other players in the Sigma scene at that time was massive. Um, you know, Clint did an awesome job of running that event and and it became a international kind yes. of event to yeah. that everyone wanted to go to and it grew bigger from there. And for me, I've, I think that was definitely a highlight for me. It was, you know, there's been other big events. <laughs> I love the Brizhammer boys and what they've done and, you know, Dave ran Briscon a few years ago and that was a lot of fun, but it, we always end up in sheds, really sweaty sheds. <laughs> that seems to be the the place Sigma players get put. So Or dungeons. Um, yeah. Dungeons as well. Yeah. Down in sex dungeons yeah. <laughs> and um, gentlemen's clubs, as we say, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, I, I definitely think there's too many highlights, but I'd say Cancon's is one of the best mm-hmm. um, 2018 for sure. Yeah,
0: and ha- have you got a standout game, not bit from CamCon, just in general in the tournament scene that you've you've got there? Yeah, um, I'd,
1: there's a lot. There's a, I mean, <laughs> there's so many to run through. Yeah, you've um, got a
0: lot of time in the hobby, so I'm sure there's.
1: Yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of different games, but yeah. I, I'd say, um, for me. It was definitely when it was early days of Sigma. I was running Bone Splitters and Luke Taylor, um, who was running Skaven at that time, was running this, you know, he was running really competitive Skaven and was tabling everyone. And um, I was playing, it was Clinton was running a local event and it was only, I think it was only 12 of us playing, but um, I ended up going third place with Bone Splitters. And it was one of those events where, everyone started watching the last game because it was Luke and I playing for a, for a place and um I I was playing my you know playing my ass off basically and and at the end of the game I ended up getting tabled but I won the game yep. and um it was one of those things where everyone was just like how how did that happen like how do you get tabled and win the game and um I ended up at masters that year as a result of that um, you know, build up the results with bone splitters. Yep. And that was when Vanguard Wing was the thing. And I got paired up against Vanguard Wing in the first game. Oof. And it was against Tim Tim McDivitt, who I regularly play against. Um, so he just absolutely pumped my bone splitters. I couldn't do anything. And then I played Chris Welfare the next game, who was also running Vanguard Wing, because <laughs> he'd been beaten by Dave Kerr. So it was like, cool, I get put into you know, two Vanguard wings straight up. And I ended up going up against Inch then, which was also re-rollable saves. Like, it was just this ridiculous matchup process. And, you know, I could have been sad about the whole thing, but the only game I won was against Death Player. And and again, same deal. I got tabled, but won the game. And yeah. all these people at Masters was like, how, how is this happening? You know, like, it makes no sense. You've got, like, you know, in 40K, you get tabled, the game's over. Yeah. Like, it's in Sigma, it was, I guess, what I loved bit, love about the game still is that you can... Get absolutely reams, but if you play, you know, play the play the game. Um, yep. you, there's always something to play in it, and that's what I love. So, yeah, two memorable games there for sure.
0: Yeah, how did you find the Masters thing overall when you sort of went there, like the environment um, and all that sort of stuff? How was that as a gaming experience? Yeah, um I'd
1: say it was one of those things where it's probably the only time I've been nervous going to an event. Like <laughs> normally, I'm, just, I'm not bothered, but it was kind of like the top. 16 players in australia at that time and you know as i said it was the first one so there was only i think maybe 100 people in the scene mm-hmm. in total at that time but again being invited was great i think i ended up placing 25th in total in the rankings then with the dropouts yep. of inter interstates i ended up getting in and you know i was running bone splitters. you know it was a not a it was a competitive list, but it wasn't the list. And I knew what I was going up against with Vanguard Wing being out there and Dave won with Zinch that year. Um so Zinch was really competitive. Um, and for me, I the whole event was great because again it was just 16 guys who are quite competitive mm-hmm. um obviously to be in that in that position. But everyone was in a really good headspace. It wasn't a I'm going to be you know, considered the master of Australia for this time or whatever. It was a really good environment, and I think it's a testament again to that community we've built. Is that everyone was happy to have a chat, and there were still conversations about saying, "Okay, matchups, what's going to happen? How do we, you know, approach it that way?" And there was still definitely a lot of interstate rivalry. There was Queensland versus New South Wales; it was a big thing, and we obviously wanted all the Queenslanders to be at the top. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a really cool cool space and and that year i don't know if if clint or whoever runs masters now still does it but i've still got a master's mug somewhere glass oh, mug, cool. With, <laughs> no masters 2017 or 16 written on it yeah. so yeah, oh, yeah it nice. was pretty cool
0: how did you because obviously there's no like when it all costs players it sort of seemed like that sort of environment would breed those sort of players but it seems like mm. the age of Sigmar environment in general has not allowed that to thrive Uh, which I've really liked hearing about because I've heard in a lot of 40k scenes it does seem to be a win-at-all-cost sort of mentality with screw what anyone else sort of thinks. I'm here to win the tournament. Um, And speaking about even people like Corey and Dave, they're strong competitive players with strong armies, but they're still there to have a chat, to be friendly and stuff, which is really nice to see at the top end um, because I feel a lot of communities get very negative towards those top end players because of what they're saying. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and like
1: I'd say for any person who's not sure about like 40K, Middle Earth, any other gaming system, whatever their interested in, you know, Marvel Crisis Protocol at the moment <laughs> seems to be the big one. You know, anyone who's not sure about events and how they should approach them, um, you go to your first event and you realise that everyone's actually top people who are there just to enjoy themselves. And I found that in 40K as well. There is that whole... Um, negative vibe around 40k but one thing that i always say about like teaching for example is mm-hmm. that you only ever hear about the bad kids and the bad kids would take up maybe two percent of your whole population in the school okay. and everyone talks about the bad kids because they make the biggest you know noise i guess whereas 98 of kids are actually good and you don't talk about the good kids because they're not going to be the drama creators <laughs> sort of thing yep. and i think that's the same in competitive play is that there are, there's still people out there who, uh, you know, want to win at all costs and will run just the most competitive list. And and they have a toxic personality, but it's very rare that they survive in mm-hmm. Sigma, I think, because they realize that there's not another three people who are in the same boat that you can match yourself against yes. and and 40k has got that but i think um 40k gets a bad rap as well i think that it's easier to kind of shovel everyone into our oh, competitive players in 40k are way, you know they're whack players yep. they're way too hardcore and and want to do this um initially you know you could say the same thing about us like we you know they could walk into a sigma event and say wow these guys are all running dragons or they're <laughs> all running long strikes or they're all running like the biggest, the latest, and yep. and." I don't want to get into this scene or I don't want to get into the competitive scene. But I think, again, um, we've got a, a standard of hobby that was set really early mm-hmm. um, with Sigma. And I think that's what keeps us away from the 40K scene because 40K doesn't have the hobby standard that Sigma does. And, yeah. and I was listening to an LVO coverage from uh, Frontline Gaming again a couple of weeks ago and, and they're 40K guys and they were talking about I think it was best presented in the 40K scene. Okay. And they said, here's the five. They were looking on the screen or something. I was listening to it as a podcast. But they were saying, here's the top five armies for um, 40K. And they're talking through the armies and saying, oh, cool. There's a nice elder army here that's been airbrushed really nicely, blah, blah, blah. And then one of the guys goes, okay. And he's like, and this is also because they cover the whole event. And yep. they said, and here's the five um, armies for Sigma. And I, it's great because you can hear one <laughs> of the guys go, he basically just goes, holy shit, we have no chance compared to those guys. <laughs> like he's like, that Lumineth Realm Lords Army is stunning. Like they started talking about it. Yeah. And it's a really nice um, feeling that I got listening to it because I was like, it's great that worldwide Sigma has this uh, notoriety for, for yeah, for being good um, hobbyists as well and I think yep. that's what stops us from being that win at all costs event because 40k you can slap three colors because a lot of 40k events now say three color minimum mm-hmm. um, they'll do that uh, you know we watched on Adepticon a couple of weeks ago last weekend that it was you know the meme photo that's going around at the <laughs> moment the uh, Harlequins versus Harlequins and one of the podcasts I was listening to I think might have been Rob talking about it saying that um, you know, it, a lot of people would have 3D printed their Harlequin armies, airbrushed them that week and put them on the table. Yep. And that's, you know, the standard. I don't think we've got that in Sigma. I think we've no, got a a drive of people saying, well, I think that fantasy element plays a role in it as well and saying, well, this is a really cool army and I love this aesthetic mm-hmm. and, and that plays into what they want. Um, And play styles is a big thing, I think, as well. And Sigma tends to find itself designed in better spaces for playstyle mm-hmm. um you know we've we've got a complete shooting army in KO that could have been so skewed that everyone wouldn't have liked playing against it and so as a result in a combat based army we have a complete shooting army that um isn't winning every event it can win every event if it needed to yeah. under good players hands but i think um yeah it's it's i guess the difference between 40k and sigma there which It's a cool thing.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Because I've definitely, from the outside at the early onset, you could definitely see the two styles of hobby. Like, it definitely seemed like, oh, I'll jump to the next new hot thing in 40K and it allows you Mm. to smash through it in a week. No one's going to judge you for it. No one's going to care. But in Age of Sigmar, Mm. I've noticed people won't out, like, straight up and say, oh, this your army looks terrible or you're not putting any effort Mm. into it. But they might Mm. just do a slide jab and say, Oh, what's happening with your army? Cause it's only got like mm. base coated and you've painted a few feathers or something like that. Um, and then they'll sort of feel bad and want to up their game. And then that, I suppose that's, yeah. that being the lowest army sort of brings everyone else up to where if they're bringing in like a half painted army, you sort of feel bad cause everyone else has got these beautiful armies.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's the right way of explaining it is that you go to events and you kind of look at everyone else's armies and go, oh, wow, like this is the standard, Um, you know, and and not everyone's a heavy metal painter, you know, not everyone gets um, best painted awards. And I think that's a cool thing is that people still put effort in. They still, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like some people will fall in love with a particular army, like Sean Muller, for example, who has run Stormcast since they came out. Um, the guy loves it <laughs> all credit to him he does and all credit to him he's stuck to them and he's painted them and and you know he's he's loved them for so long um, yes. and they've been getting all these updates and he still is updating all the time with his his models and yep. painting them and you know that that's an impressive thing and I think that stems again from um, going to events and seeing that everyone is painting their army. And so you feel like you have to lift as well mm-hmm. as a player, which is really cool.
0: Yeah. And how have you found your hobby? Because you said you've gone to try and go for painting awards and stuff like that. Mm. Do you have a preference mm. with your hobby? Are you sort of focusing on the painting side or are you try and go for quite elaborate conversions or are you like a massive basing guy? What sort of your hobby things do you work towards?
1: Yeah. I, I love, um, with the internet, how much access there is to hobbyists and seeing what their tips and tricks are, and you know, like Duncan became such a popular person um, in in Warhammer through painting and and being the guy that would, like, the amount of Duncan videos I've watched where he's literally just doing base layer, wash layer, highlight, <laughs> yeah. like that. It's a standard sort of color scheme process, and and for me. I've always kind of stuck to that. Um, mm-hmm. I've never used an airbrush. I'd love to get into oh, airbrushing. Um, your life would be I kind of push myself. Yeah, yeah. A, Like I showed I, a few I think, people,
0: because I, I enjoy showing people not what they're missing out on, but what they could gain. And every time yeah, someone's picked it up and airbrushed and they're like, when, when was this 10 years ago?
1: I've been missing. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know I'm know. i missing out on so many opportunities to to get it, you know, like even using Xenital highlights and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Like I love that, that, is something that's come into, you know, um, painting videos and saying, well, you can do this and then you can use a brush. Like yeah. a lot of people felt you could only ever an airbrush. Um, and I, yes, yeah, so I watch bulk Duncan videos. I've watched lots of different painting channels and saying, okay, well, this is the techniques that they use. And then um, for me, I would talk to um, regular like high standard painters in like a Sam Lindy and that sort of mm-hmm. thing where um when I did the corn army, I was looking for a recess wash to put in so, so that they could look kind of airbrushed. Cause I yep. was learning how to layer up and, and do that sort of thing. And Sam actually suggested the purple wash for the recesses because it played really well into red and, mm-hmm. you know, it's so the color theory and that sort of stuff yep. started to come in. And, you know, like the wood elves was for me was kind of where I pushed myself. I was always an okay painter i kind of wanted to learn the basics and and you know get my head around that and then when wood elves were my army they lent themselves to highlighting really well because of their folds and the robes and everything like that Um, so i had to learn how to do that Uh, so again that was color theory of using bases but then the highlight color was bone and so i just mix bone into every highlight and layering up to to the highest highlight color. And and I learned techniques within that. I look at it now and and there's brush strokes that are so obvious that (laughs) I feel like for me back then, it was like, Oh, it's going to make it pop. And it did. Um, But now I'm looking for, more intentional brush strokes to be like a natural sort of, um, look, I guess. And so my Silvaneth is my latest army. I, I Daughters of Cane was a big push for me. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly in that I decided to paint eyeballs on every single one of the, the girls that I was painting. And it was that thing of that was a push for me, highlighting the skin, highlighting all the colors, another sort of thing behind it. And then Silvaneth was, the army where I thought, well, it's a really natural, um, obviously nature-based sort of army. And I love, like I said, do, you, do I like converting and that sort of stuff? I actually have rarely converted armies. So okay. I usually just use whatever comes in the box. Um, and for me, that's what I love is that the models now are so well-designed that mm. sometimes they don't need to be, Like I love what people do
0: as yeah. alternatives.
1: Like I love what you did for Prince Vordry. Oh, thank you. Like that was, you know, like I remember straight away I went up <laughs> and I was like, you're a fan of Castlevania. <laughs> I can tell. And it, it was that sort of thing of like people can come up and have conversations about that. And that's really cool. For me, the Sylvaneth, as my last project was, uh, can I push the techniques that I've learned to a standard that's above everything else that I've done? And yep. it was going to be a smaller army in, in models anyway. Um Due to paint uh, points, costs, and that sort of stuff in mm-hmm. design. Um, so I knew I had time to to work on that. And I started with Tree Revenants as the the unit because I love their aesthetic of part ghost, part natural sort of thing. And Juan Hidalgo, I believe his name is, he's a yes. contrast painter. Um, he did a silverneft model, I think it was August last year, and, and that really inspired me to to give Sylvaneth a go because mm-hmm. I'd always loved their aesthetic. Um, I'd never, I guess, obviously, I loved wood elves. Um, I didn't have a lot of tree elements in the wood elf army. It was always elves themselves. I had yeah. a tree lord, which I'd painted years ago, and I ended up getting rid of him along the way. But this army for me was where I wanted to push myself. And so what I focused on was highlighting and going for a natural look. I was going to do autumn themed, um, but I ended up going for a spring look. And and my theory with painting has always been faces and bases. And that came from a, a fantasy background of okay. if you paint the face to a standard, uh, high standard and also, you know, like the hands and weapons, yeah. and then the bases, it makes people walk past and go, oh, look at this army and check it out and go from there. Mm-hmm. And Sylvaneth lent itself to basically everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was... You know, like every part of a model of Silver Death is so well designed. I never appreciated them as an army until I was painting, you know, every bit of them. Okay. And, you know, like they've got mushrooms covering every single model. They've got, um, you know, like the the idea of the actual new growth in a lot of the models is quite Um, something I've always overlooked. Mm -hmm. Maybe people haven't painted them that way. Whereas you've got that idea of, you know, like the hardwood then becoming greenwood as part of the model, because that's what the whole army is about is that regrowth element. And, you know, the biggest challenge for me in Daughters of Cain was painting Marathi. I'd never painted a centerpiece model like that before. um, So that was a big challenge. And so Ilarial for me, I guess, put me off initially with Sylvaneth a long time ago and now i was ready to tackle her and and i was surprised with how much uh, i was able to just pick it up and kind of go with it yeah. but again i watched a lot of tutorials um i watched duncan's 2017 or maybe i think it might have been yeah 2017's video of how to paint millarial and you know he was using washes and i was able to use contrast instead and get some different yeah. effects and so i guess for me it was um my paintings evolved in the sense of I really want to be, I guess with Sylvaneth, it was I wanted painting awards. Um, I also wanted people to, you know, like there's not many Sylvaneth players out there at the moment no. and the army lends itself to good painting. Yeah. So I want people to walk up and be like, oh, wow, I haven't seen this model before. Or I haven't seen this combination of, of models before. And, you know, they, they have terrain pieces, which are just as detailed as any other model. <laughs> yeah. So I had to... I had to approach that in a different way because yeah. I've got a corn piece, which was a real dry brush and highlight thing. Like it wasn't a massive effort for me, yeah. whereas the trees in Neth, I, I wanted to paint to the same standard as the other models as well. So it was a matter of, you know, using contrast and highlighting up to really, you know, fine highlight and then using the greens and some different greens and trialing that. And yeah, it's, it's, um, one of my favorite armies I've painted. To, yep. to tell you the truth, I'm really proud of them. So they
0: looked yeah, really good when right. I saw it at Toowoomba. That's for sure. Definitely an eye-catching army. Um, yeah, it for, goes out uh, goes the yeah. way, sometimes <laughs> you've gone for the like the eye-catching moments of it because you get quite a lot of teals and blues and stuff like yep. that in there. Yeah. Just as those edge bits to really pull in your eyes.
1: And with it as well, it was even basing I had to think about. Mm-hmm. So um in the past, you know, I've. Being criticised by my usual friends for <laughs> running snow bases because um, you know snow makes an army pop. Yeah. Um, but for this army, I wanted to use some different textures in in grasses, and I found myself picking up purple. Um, mm-hmm. I asked four different people what colour I should go as a flower colour, and and I never had to do that before. And I'm glad I did because when I went with the purple, I had the like I said the teals in the ghost elements, mm-hmm. and then obviously the natural elements and then the purple was a real nice pop on the base. And so that theory of faces and bases came back in where people look at the army and they go, Wow, that's that you know, it looks great. And then they go to the bases and they're, oh wow, he's actually put some effort into different size grasses, some scatter, you know, that sort of thing as well. Yep. And, and the army again lends itself to that because it's that idea of all these plants growing around it. And I love yeah. that element with the artwork as well was a big thing. Yeah, there,
0: so. it's definitely an army that it lends so I know a lot of models out there don't have the opportunity to do pop colors and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. when you've got flowers mm-hmm. that pop out of random spots, or even mushrooms, yep. there's something you can really lean into and even go for sort of the Easter egg look where you've got the small little thing that you don't notice far mm-hmm. away. But as soon as you get in, he goes, Oh, he's painted all that up. And then there's this cool little yep. woodland creature. Cause I'm sure they've got woodland creatures in there. Oh,
1: they're everywhere. Yep. yep they are everywhere. And that's, that's as well a great part. Cause um, we used to joke when I was running my tree lord in fantasy and cannonballs were a thing that used to either bounce through the trees. We actually, like tree lords come with all these little animals and you can mm-hmm. put owls and stuff on it. And I remember we all used to joke about my tree lord getting a cannonball through the chest and, you know, <laughs> as he's dying on the ground saying, oh, the squirrel's okay. And, you know, like the yeah. scattered squirrel everywhere as well because <laughs> it's a, they have so many like you said, little Easter egg moments in the in the army. Yeah. And, and I loved painting those as well. It was one of those things where you could overlook it. And um, I think I'm glad I did Daughters cane first because they're detailed enough um, as well that I didn't feel it as a daunting challenge doing Sylvan yeah.
0: after that, which was good. Yeah, definitely getting the opportunity to paint the hair because I've heard <laughs> the hair is a lovely thing. <laughs> but then also yeah. I think getting over... When you've painted a big centerpiece, you realize it's not as big and as daunting as you think it is. So that allowed you to just go straight into Elario after you said you put her off a little bit. And then you're like, yep, get straight into her. And then you just, she's just done magically. Yep. Yeah, it's surprising
1: how much you kind of go, oh, oh, wow, I'm done. Cool. And then the basing, you know, was a lot of fun because she's on a dinner plate you know size base so that that in itself was a lot
0: of fun as well Mm -hmm. which was great have you got any tips for people that want to get into painting and sort of taking them to the next level
1: yeah um i'd say the big thing is is um talk to hobbyists in store as well um i you'd be surprised particularly with the way if you want to lean towards citadel models uh paint for example um their range has grown so much that it's really easy to go in and go, I need the base layer and highlight and all three colors are there and usually on the rack in order as well. And what I loved was I'd go in with this mindset of, I need to use this Brown and, you know, Zach at my local store, I'd walk in and do this and he goes, Oh, have you thought about this? And as soon as I look at the Browns go, yep, that's exactly the color that I wanted. And, and so talking about, I guess having an idea in your mind of what you want mm-hmm. is a big thing. Um, I've also used like the the army book a lot. Um that's just me because I tend to paint from the army book itself. Like my corn army is red, for example. <laughs> a lot of people do something different, but I went with red and gold. Um my you know, daughters of Cain are based on um Keltner, which is, you know, the darker skin color, red as the as the spot color. And and so I looked at the color schemes that they've done, and then even the books themselves have suggested ways to paint the the models as well, which is really cool. They've they've really improved that. I've got a million and one White Dwarf articles, which are all based on you know painting and how to paint and mm-hmm. YouTube, and there's so much out there that I think anyone who's wanting to take their painting to the next level is, I guess you yeah. Consume as much as you can, but also not be disappointed if the first time round you don't get it. Um, my first Tree Revenant is very different to my Tree Lord Ancient that I painted. Yeah. And Tree Lord Ancient was one of my last models that I painted, whereas the Tree Revenant was one of the first. And I can see the difference, but it still blends in with the rest of the army. Yeah, um, it's all cohesive. You know, like I, I did a practice model with um, the Underworlds Warbands, yeah. and that's how I kind of did a practice model and learned the techniques from there. The war band yeah. itself, I knew would never get onto the table. So I was okay <laughs> with losing that. Yep. But I think, again, that's kind of a hard thing to do if you're wanting to do a test model. And then if it doesn't work out, are you willing to go back and paint over it or, you know, what's yeah. a handy
0: thing for later on? If you have an airbrush,
1: you can just yeah. spray
0: straight over it. <laughs> exactly.
1: Exactly. Go Zenithal straight over yeah. it. But yeah, it's, um, there's a lot out there and I, I just recommend that everyone, gets as much education as possible before kind of undertaking. Because I, I found with Sylvaneth, as I said, I bought the army six months ago and it had been sitting there and it was one of those armies where I knew I wanted to start it. And I got inspired by watching one of the YouTube videos and it was actually the Warsong Revenant, which I haven't painted yet, is um, kind of what wanted, made me get into Sylvaneth. Um, but again, it's that idea of just do your research and then, you know, once you're feeling up to it, be in the mood to then paint it as well. Because I think there's nothing worse than going, oh, I've got to get this done. You know, some people use events as motivation, yeah. which is cool. Um, Gabe's doing that at the moment with <laughs> Slanesh. Um, But again, some people, I guess, like they have an idea in their head and having someone to kind of go, right, get it done, actually is what people need, particularly in this hobby. So it's easier to just get stuck and paint another army and, yeah. you know, yeah. From
0: there, <laughs> well, I'll definitely get you to send some photos through and um, we'll post them all up yep. so people can look at all these for sure awesomely painted armies that you've had. Um, I was just looking before, it seems we have a random question from this dude called Joel. Mm. I don't know who he is, um, mm. never heard of him, uh, no, neither have I. And he's asking, <laughs> Why do you pretend that fruit juice is beer? Look.
1: I've, uh, for those that don't know, I've, I've got into a bit of a podcast <laughs> war with uh, the boys down south. Uh, we've buried that hatchet. So it'll be a breakdance fight at teams, which will most likely happen in the car park, is how we will actually deal with it in person. But uh, amicably, we've, we've dealt with it online. Um, uh, what I will say to Joel is, is that I'm, I'm learning to, uh, I guess, lower my taste bud levels to you know a Victorian bitter standard um a Carlton mid standard you know that sort of thing so I think by the time we get to teams I'll probably be able to consume half a glass of Carlton draft and you know then we can share that together so fingers crossed by that time I'll (laughs) lower my standards I did notice you were
0: drinking something while we were chatting what are you you partaking in uh currently I'm
1: partaking in Budweiser King of Beards yeah American um so that'll probably tick a few people off um, a few locals but support local buy local eat local but yeah going with the Budweiser um goes down smoothly and it was on sale so that that was my choice (laughs) cheap beers good (laughs) beer that's it that's it
0: would you have anything else you wanted to say before we let you go tonight uh not really man um I just
1: I think I've kind of spoken about the community enough and you know I, I can't thank them enough and can't speak more highly of them um you know it's one of those things where i love meeting new people um the last couple of events i've been to there's been some really new faces there um you know like walking around Golcon, there was a few people i hadn't seen same deal at gauntlets um and I, I love to see that the the scene's growing and more people are coming into it um so you know i love what you're doing as well sam it's, thank you you know find it you know that one-on-one interview is really cool to see what people have to say and you know, that's, that's in itself is a really cool platform to, you know, highlight some people in the community and, and what they've done and, yeah. and hear their thoughts, which is really cool. So,
0: yeah, love it. Well, where can, what sort of social media prints have you got?
1: Yep. So, um, mainly on Twitter for um, the Hammers. Um, that's usually where I guess I engage the most with people overseas and also the locals as well mm-hmm. but it's much easier because i'll be checking twitter more than facebook page. facebook pages are really hard to sift through because yeah, <laughs> you know there'll be an update and i can't see where the update is because there's been 30 other posts since then but um yeah definitely on twitter m underscore gammy that's you know as simple as it gets but um yeah that's that, that's my twitter handle like Corey's one <laughs> no yeah yeah exactly <laughs> trying to spell that's really difficult but i'm also on the i run the along with the other Mango Boys, but the Mango Mafia page. So every now and then for events, I'll chuck up a post there to how everyone's going and, and, you know, the results of the event. So if you follow like, and follow Mango Mafia page on Facebook, yep. um, I'll have everything support linked and... down
0: below anyway. So that way people can yeah, check him everything sure. out and they don't have to try and smell words. So know sometimes words yeah, are hard. Try, yeah, Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly, exactly. But um yeah, before I go, big shout out to the Mango Boys and obviously, you know, the the people that I've Mentioned earlier, um, any person I've played at events has always been such a high quality person. I look forward to us playing Sam yes, because we'll get there eventually. One day, one day, we'll get there eventually. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there eventually. Exactly. You got to stop being at the top tables, you, know? <laughs> you know, lurking down and lurking down in mid tables with my armies. Yeah. But I don't know if I'll get up there with still at the moment, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. But
0: yeah, so. oh, awesome. Well, thank you very much, Gammy. Um, uh, it's been great, no, to have thank you, you, you Sam, on, and it's definitely been a And interesting to sort of talk to, to learn sort of more about you in the earlier years, because I didn't know you've been playing tournaments for the last Mm. sort of 10 years. Um, Mm. So it's good to Mm. sort of learn about that. Uh, And that's the main premise of the podcast, I suppose, is to learn all these sort of things and identify people who they are in the wargaming hobby. So thank you very much and enjoy the rest of your night. Thanks, mate. Hello, everyone. I just have a little editor's note to make. In episode two, I said, my name was Jimmy. That was an error on my behalf the man you've been listening to on this episode his name is actually jimmy sorry for the error and i'll do better in the future